every religion has a prayer component that's to do with that religion. The Hindus pray. The Buddhists pray. I've been to some Buddhist temple, and I've seen people literally going at it, praying. Muslims pray five times a day. Even atheists pray sometimes. And now you've heard it said that there are no atheists in foxholes. But the question is, to whom are they praying? What are their expectations in prayer? Are their prayers any more than just reciting a wish list? Do they have any confidence that their prayers will be answered? Do they know their God? That is why Jesus taught us to pray. When we pray, say, our Father in heaven. That distinguishes those who belong to Jesus from the rest of the world. How? Because no one can call God Almighty, the Creator of heaven and earth, Father, unless Jesus Christ is the Lord and the Savior of the life. Only Jesus could call the Almighty, all-powerful Creator God, Father, because He coexisted with Him before the foundation of the world. In fact, He called Him Father seven times in the Gospels. And therefore, only those who belong to Jesus can call God Father. Hebrews 10, 19 tells us that only through the blood of Jesus Christ can we enter into the holy place of being able to call God Abba, Father. Now, people tear themselves apart, crying to their false gods to answer them, just like those prophets of Baals of old in the days of of Elijah, where they were tearing themselves and cutting themselves, calling upon Baal, and Baal was nowhere to be found. Only those who call upon their heavenly Father can be absolutely confident that God is not only hearing their prayers, but answers their prayers. In the last two messages, we saw first that persistence in prayer, that is intimacy with God on a regular basis, on a daily basis, in prayer and in fellowship of His Word, uh, will give us joy and hopeful joy in the midst of troubling times. Secondly, we saw how thanksgiving and praising God for things that He has done in the past makes our prayer to be effectual prayer. And today I want to show you how the prayer of faith are not only honoring to God, but it conquers the unconquerable, it overcomes the obstacles, it accomplishes the impossible, and it vanquishes the enemy. God said to His people through the prophet Jeremiah, and here's what He said to them, "'Call to Me, and I'll answer you, and tell you great and unsearchable things that you do not know.'" Other translation says, "'Call upon Me, and I'll show you great and mighty things that you can't even imagine.'" Now, many of us have probably taken this passage out of context. That's all right. God will forgive us. (laughs) Some people use it as a catch-all prayer. As many people are trying to apply it to their personal needs, that is fine. But this verse and this invitation of God has a far wider implication than all of this. In fact, James, the brother of Jesus, said 
The reason you have not is because you ask not. But then when you ask, you ask array or you ask wrongly for your own selfish ambitions, and that's why you don't get answers to your prayer. At the end of this message, I'm going to show you how to pray, big prayer, how to pray mighty prayer in the context of your needs and in the context of your circumstances. So stay tuned. In fact, there is something that appears contradictory in the book of Jeremiah, and I'm going to show it to you. You may never have thought about it, but I'm going to show it to you anyway. (laughs) Here in 33.3, God is speaking to His people saying, call upon me, and I'm going to show you the circumstances in which He gave that invitation, and I will show you great and mighty things. You flip over to Jeremiah 45.5, and then God says to Jeremiah, Now, Jeremiah, ask for great things, but ask them not for yourself. You say, wait a minute, is this a contradiction? Not at all. (laughs) Not at all. He is asking his people to pray big prayer, great prayer for God's glory. And he wants Jeremiah to be one of them. He does not want Jeremiah to pray for great things for himself. That's why he clarifies it later in this uh, chapter 45, verse 5. You say, why is God doing this? Because you need to understand. Listen to me. Please listen carefully. You and I need to understand in these tough times that the real blessings do not come from asking great things for ourselves. That our real blessings do not come from asking for the sake of our own selfish ambitions. That only our real blessings come when we know how to ask God for great things for His glory and for His kingdom and for His honor and the praise of His name and for the manifestation of His power and for the testifying of the greatness of God. That's what He's asking us to do. That's where the real blessing is. That's where the real blessing is. Now, don't misunderstand me. God loves to hear us all the time. He loves to hear His faithful children to pray for big things, small things. So if you're praying for parking spaces, please keep praying. Don't let me stop you. (laughs) If you want to pray for this or that, that's fine. (laughs) And I am here focused on one thing. And I pray to God that He will change your heart, your mind, and your vision for life. That you will begin to understand how big our God is and why He loves to hear big prayers. God loves to hear and answer all of our prayers, but your greatest blessing, your most overwhelming joy, your abundance of blessings, your manifold delight can only be found when you pray mighty prayers, when you pray big prayers, when you honor God by asking a God size things. When God said to Israel through Jeremiah, call upon me, and I will show you great and mighty things of which you can't even imagine. Jeremiah himself was in prison when that invitation was issued. <laughs> Just think about this for a long time. Nebuchadnezzar had already come, this dictator of Babylon had already come with his army and laid siege around Jerusalem, and they already have taken some hostages and took them back to Babylon. Things were as dark as they've ever been since the days of the slavery in Egypt for the people of God. These were dark and tough days. The nation was in a political dire strait. 
And the, the nation was facing economic catastrophe. The nation was facing a social meltdown. The nation was facing a spiritual crisis. Something like what we're going through right now. Question. Why did God let that happen? Why did God allow this when these are God's people? These are not some rascals somewhere. These are the, the people of God whom He loved and redeemed. These are the people of whom God says, they are the apple of my eye. Why is He doing this? And the answer, beloved, is very simple. It really is. They have turned their backs on God again and again and again. They have placed their trust in political messiahs. They have placed their security on material possessions. They have compromised with sin. They have ceased to be united in worship of the one true God. And for years, God has been appealing to them again and again and again until they become callous. God, for years, was sending a messenger after messenger after messenger to stop this wholesale departure from the truth, but to no avail. And finally, God is saying to them, at this very critical juncture of their history, at this very critical time of their life, and God is saying, even now, it is not too late to cry to me. It is not too late to call upon me. Even at this very, very hour. Let me ask you this. When was the last time did you ask God for mighty things for His glory? Ask yourself that question. When was the last time you asked God for great things? Listen to me. The problem with our culture is the problem of the church. It really is. Because our culture has a short attention span. We have such a short attention span that we cannot focus on prayer more than a couple of hours or a couple of days or maybe a couple of weeks. We start praying, especially in times of crisis, and then we fizzle out. Why? If we fizzle out if God answers our prayers because we get busy with what He's given us, and we fizzle out if He doesn't out of disappointment. We fizzle out. And that is why I began the series of messages talking about the most important thing in prayer, and that is continuous, consistent, daily time with God and His Word. Listen to me. When you spend time with God and His Word, you will not only know how to pray, but you will pray according to His will. In fact, 1 John 3, 21 and 22 is what he said, Dear friends, if our hearts do not condemn us, and we are confident before God, and receive from Him anything we ask. Amen. All right. That's where most Christians stop. <laughs> That's where they stop. No, no, no. Read the rest of the verse. <laughs> Here's what he says. Because we obey His commands and do what pleases Him. Amen. You start pleasing God and watch how He's going to answer big prayers. When we truly know God, we're going to please God. And when we please God, we will pray great things for, on behalf of God's kingdom. And when we ask for great things, we're expecting Him to answer these great things, even if it takes 10 years. We don't give up in prayer. Because you're absolutely certain you're praying according to His will and for His glory. Now, beloved, listen to me. I have been on both sides of this equation 
I have prayed for things according to the will of God, knowing it is for the glory of God, confident that I am praying for the will of God, and I received instant answers to prayer. Instant. Before sunset, I got answers. But then I've been in times when I prayed for things for the glory of God and according to the will of God, and I didn't get an answer for 11 years. (laughs) Makes no difference. When you are praying according to the will of God, when you are praying for the glory of God, it doesn't matter how long it takes. You say, Michael, were you tempted to give up in prayer? Yes, I have. Did you go through time of doubting? that you might not praying according to the will of God? Yes, I have. Several times. What made you persist? Once you are confident that you are praying for the glory of God, once you are confident you're praying according to the will of God, then no matter how big your prayer may be, no matter how high the mountain is, no matter how treacherous the road may be, no matter how impossible the task may look, no matter how unbelievable the request seem to others, you keep on calling, and you keep on calling, and you keep on calling. You know, God taught me that lesson earlier on in my late teens when I was praying for the impossible, but God burdened me to pray and keep on praying I made a foolish mistake. I told some people what I was praying for, and they thought that my sanity has left me. Be careful who you tell. (laughs) Poor old Samson. God gives him a big vision, and what does he do? He goes out and blabs it, (laughs) and he got into trouble. Well, to be truthful, I have been praying for something so big, so humongous, that not a single human being, even my dearest and nearest, will even understand. Do you know how long I've been praying? For 30 years. <laughs> you say, Michael, did I hear that right? Is the 3 0? Yes. <laughs> what keeps you going? As I spend time with God, in intimacy with God, as I cry to the Lord, as I commune with Him through the power of the Holy Spirit, and I pray, Lord, do you want to release me from this? And the Lord says, No. As long as He doesn't release me, I'll keep on praying, believing that I'm going to see it in my lifetime. When it comes to praying great things for God's glory, we all quick to settle for just a deposit. (laughs) We get a little bit of answer, and we just give up praying. We don't persist in calling until we get the whole thing. In fact, before God told Jeremiah to have the people of God to call on him, before he issued that invitation for his people to call upon me so that I might do great and mighty things. In verse 2, the verse before the one we looked at, before 33.3, verse 2, God tells them who he is. He reminds them of who he is. Listen, you cannot call upon God for great and mighty things until you know how big your God is. Here's what God said to them before He said, call on me. He said, I am the maker of heaven and earth. Yahweh is my name. He said, did they really need to be reminded? Yes, of course He did. They were paying lip service to who God is, but in reality, they have forgotten who He is. And that is why they were pursuing other interests. And you say, 
Why do we do this? Now, after 2,000 years of Christian history, these people did not have the Scripture like we do, and they we do the same thing now. After 2,000 years of Christ dying and rising again, I'm going to tell you why. The reason this generation does not pray for big things because they don't believe in a big God. This is the age of downsizing, and we want to downsize God. We want to cut Him down to size. We want to bring Him to our level so we can look Him in the eye and then tell Him how we feel. That's the problem of this generation. Like no other generation of history, we have lost what it means to be in awe of God. And this is the subject of the Christian books and the Christian bookstores and ministries that are going around trying to bring God to our level. When the Bible from cover to cover says that those who put their faith in Jesus Christ are lifted up by the Holy Spirit to where God is, not bring Him down to our level. And we live in weakness. And we live in failure, and we live in sin, and we live in compromise. And we wonder why. Because we have lost our vision of who God is and what a mighty big God He is. There is a very curious verse in Matthew 13, 58. It says, Jesus did not do many miracles because of the unbelief. Some translations said Jesus could not do any miracles not quite accurate. I'm going to show you in a minute. All of the miracles of Jesus were designed to increase and strengthen faith of His children in Him. That's the purpose of a miracle. Now, God can do anything He wants to do. Look, He's God. <laughs> he can do any miracle anywhere to anybody. I mean, He is God. He can do anything He wants. But here in this passage in Matthew, it tells us, that Jesus would not perform miracles when he saw their unbelief. I know there are some people who pray and pray and pray and nothing happened. But Matthew 13, 58, it tells us that unbelief is a barrier to God doing great and mighty things. Unbelief is a barrier to God's blessings. Unbelief is a barrier to God's interventions. Unbelief is a barrier for God, period. It's not that Jesus could not perform. It's Jesus would not. That's really more accurate. He would not. This is one of the clearest examples why God does not answer faithless prayer. I want to repeat that. That's one of the clearest examples why God does not answer faithless. Did you get that? Faithless prayer. But as we are saved by faith, not by works, to escape eternal judgment. It is faith through the grace of God that's freely given to us. So it is faith and not works that will move God to respond when we call upon Him, especially for those things that are honoring to Him, especially for those things that are glorifying to Him. And Jesus Himself warns in Matthew chapter 7, verse 6, He said, Do not give what is holy to the dogs, and do not throw your pearls to the pigs, lest they trample them under their feet, and then turn and tear you to pieces. Whew. You've heard it. You've heard it probably more time than I have. 
People who have nothing to do with God. People who never just pay lip service to God. People who may even not know God. And they'll say, where was God when I was going through this difficult? Where was God when this has happened? Where was God? Here's the answer. Listen to me. God will not be there for the hardened, unbelieving heart. God will not be there for those who trample His truth underfoot. God will not be there for those who despise who He is. God will not be there for those who will use His blessings against Him and against His children. God will not be there for those who deny His Son as the only way to heaven. In Matthew 13, 58, Jesus refused to bend to the request of the hypocrites, scribes, and the Pharisees. You see, they wanted to see miracles for entertainment values. They wanted to see miracles not for the spiritual value, but to satisfy their curiosity. And that is why this promise of Jeremiah 33, 3 is for those who are walking in intimacy with God, for those who live a life of thanksgiving and praise and worship of God. Paul gives a very similar promise in the epistle to the Ephesians. It's very similar to Jeremiah 33.3. In fact, you can even set the two together side by side. Paul is, is making a promise to those who are walking intimately with God. He's giving the same promise for those who are seeking God with all of their heart, who are seeking to please God with all of their life. This promise is for those who live a life of thanksgiving and praise for who God is and what He's done. And here it is, Ephesians 3, verse 20. God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that we ask or think. You see, he is saying God is not only able, but God is abundantly able. God is not only abundantly able, but God is exceedingly abundantly able. God is not only exceedingly abundantly able, but He is exceedingly abundantly able to do what we cannot even imagine or ask for. Call upon me, says the Lord. And I'll answer you and show you great and mighty things. When Elisha succeeded his master, Elijah, the prophet, he had the gumption to ask God for a humongous thing because he knew God. When God asked him to come and follow him, Elisha took his livelihood, (laughs) the beast, that he uses in farming, and he took the implements and he burnt it and cooked the meat and burned his bridges to farming. That is how total his trust in the God who called him. And so when God said, what do I do for you? He said, double portion of my master Elijah's blessing." Double portion. And if you read carefully, you'll find that's exactly what God gave him. Elijah performed eight miracles. Elisha performed 16 miracles. He wanted double portion, God gave it to him. In fact, it is that 16th miracle 
that I'm going to use to conclude this message. And I pray to God that He would use it to challenge every single one of us and then us together as a body of believers. Here's the story. There was a man who was a faithful man. He loved the Lord. He served the Lord. He trusted the Lord. Obviously was known to Elisha too. And he died. His wife and two sons were in debt. Terrible debt. And the creditors, the debtors, were threatened to take these two boys into slavery. And she was in a fix. She was in a predicament. And she cries to the prophet Elisha, and she says, you know your servant, my husband, was a faithful man of God. Beloved, listen to me. Your faithfulness to God will not only bring the answer to prayer to you, but to your children and your children's children, the third and fourth generation. You see, God is no man's debtor. He is no man's debtor. He may delay, but He will not deny. God will repay your faithfulness a thousandfold, but if you are unfaithful, God does not owe you anything. And Elisha said to the widow, what do you have in your house? Well, she thought for a moment, and she said, uh, a drop of oil. Just one drop of oil in the whole house. But because Elisha understood this principle, how God is faithful not only to his faithful children, but to their families and the next generation. Now, let me give you a Yusuf interpretation, okay? Elisha said to the widow, what do you have in your house? She said, just a drop of oil. Oh, no, 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 lady. You don't just have a drop of oil. You have an oil factory in your house. Now, Elisha, you're a man of God. I I know you're a prophet of God. God used you mightily, but you didn't hear me very well. (laughs) I said a drop of oil. Elisha said, no, 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 lady, you did not hear me very well. I said you have an oil factory in your house. Beloved, we have a big God who wants to hear big prayers and answer big prayers for His glory. And the operative word here is faithful. It doesn't matter how tough it's going to get. God honors faithfulness. It doesn't matter how bleak it looks. God honors faithfulness. It doesn't matter how tough things get. God honors faithfulness. And for this widow of this faithful man of God who's been dead for a while, she obeyed the words of the prophet. And she borrowed all of the empty jars that she could find from all of her neighbors. She got all the empty jars that she can lay hands on. And she began to pour this drop of oil. And they all kept on pouring, jar after jar. Fill this one, put it away. The next one, put it away. The next one, put it away. And she kept on pouring. And she kept on pouring the oil until the last empty jar was filled and then the oil stopped flowing. Let me ask you this. Please listen carefully. How empty is your vessel that you're offering to God? How empty is it? Is your vessel empty of yourself? Is your vessel 
empty of your pride? Is your vessel empty of your selfish ambitions? Is your vessel empty of your controlling spirit? Is your vessel empty of your human wisdom and playing games with God? As long as you offer Him an empty vessel, He'll fill it. He'll fill it. How big is your God? How big is your faith in Him? How big is your prayer for His glory? A lot of people play games with God on the tithe. When it comes to the tithing of which, which belongs to God, they play games with God. They really do. Why should I give after taxes, before taxes? Will I, should I tithe what's just left over? Come on now. Someone will say, well, Michael, I, you, I don't know what you're talking about. I can't give. We've got so much need right now. How can I tithe to the Lord when the future is so uncertain? How can I give when I just have a drop of oil? How big is your God? A drop of oil was an oil factory. Here's what I want to show you. How to pray big prayers for the glory of God. You have a job. You're looking for a job. You need a job. You can pray, God, give me a job so I can meet my needs. That is a little prayer. This is how you pray a big prayer. Lord, give me a job that can give me an opportunity to not just meet my needs, but to support the work of your kingdom. Give me a job in which I have an opportunity to witness and lead people to Christ. God, give me a job that is worthy of who you are. That's a big prayer. God, I have needs. Can you just please give me enough so that I can get by, so I can make ends meet? Or... Oh, God, provide in such a way that I don't only give that measly 10%, but 20% or 30% or 40% or 50% or even 90%, and I live on the 10%. Now, that's big prayer. You're praying for your needs in the context of the greatness of God and the bigness of God, not limit God to your circumstances. How big is your God? How big is your prayer? You can see the difference between a small prayer and a big prayer. Call on me, says the Lord. When you place your needs in the context of His glory, you not only honor God, but God is going to honor your faith. Listen, I know human nature the way it is. I'm very careful. This is not a way to trick God to get Him to give you what you're looking for. <laughs> I, know, I know how the mind works. No, 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 no. I am talking about a whole revolutionary change in heart and spirit and life and motive in life that all of you is crying to God for big prayers so that His glory may be manifested. It's a change of lifestyle. It's a change of attitude. It's a change of life altogether. And that's what I'm talking about because God cannot be mocked. Call upon me. And I'll show you great and mighty things. Never do I pray for somebody for healing without praying that God will be magnified and manifested. That the testimony of the person healed bring glory to Christ. I never pray for anything without having the greatness of God and the kingdom of God and the glory of God in mind. Because that is the kind of prayer that God wants to hear. Are you ready to pray? Are you ready to pray big prayer?
Father, we are so sorry for downsizing you. We are so sorry for bringing it down to our level, for not believing in a big God who wants to hear big prayers from faithful children. Cleanse our heart, O Lord. Elevate our vision. Let us see you like John saw you and fell on his face. Even the beloved disciple who leaned on your shoulder was in awe of the glorified Christ. Father, help us to live in awe of who you are and call upon you because you are a mighty God. You're the only God. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to this message from Dr. Michael Youssef, recently featured on Leading the Way. If you'd like to know more about us, please visit ltw.org. That's ltw.org.